episode 122 of Eventually Super Train. Short-lived TV show podcast. We cover TV shows that never got enough love. Three shows at a time, one episode at a time. I'm Dan, I'm your main host in all three segments. And in this episode, what are we doing? What are we doing? We are starting off with uh, the great uh, Mr. Christopher Bly and myself discussing the seventh episode, I believe, of Battlestar Galactica. And then Tim S. Turner discussing with me the 14th is that right? 14th episode of, I don't know why I suddenly blacked out and everything, 14th episode of Cold Track and then, oh sad Mitchell Hadley and myself discussing The Ravagers the 23rd and final episode of Search after about a year of chatter but a quite wonderful show um, we'll have our last discussion of the last episode, which is always, which is always sad, but, um, it's good too, because in the next episode, a brand new old show will start up. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's dive right in, shall we? And uh, we are uh, starting off, uh, in that order, we're doing a uh, Battlestar Galactica, then Kolchak, then Search. So listen to this, and, uh, Christopher and I are on the other side. Gun on Ice Planet Zero, Part 2. Directed by Alan J. Levy. Story by John Ireland Jr. Teleplayed by Donald Belisario, Glenn A. Larson, and Michael Sloan. This aired on October 29, 1978. I won't go over what happened in the first episode because you remember, but it's about uh, Pilot Starbuck Boomer and a bunch of prisoners with all sort of special bits of expertise, along with uh, what Boxy, who stowed away, are on Ice Planet Zero trying to um, destroy the weapon that the um that the uh that the Cylons have, which was built by scientists on there, who also is has a series of clones on the planet. And uh, we'll go in depth into that. But there's there's clones and there's a sort of a misguided, sort of not quite mad scientist and the Cylons have their ships and the um the Battlestar Galactica is the Battlestar Galactica is trying to go by um the planet without being shot down, so they have to take out the gun before um, uh, they can. Uh, the the Galactica can go by, and um, yeah, lots of chainery, lots of jumping around, lots of snowy stuff, and lots of people who look exactly the same with the clones. But uh, Christopher and I covered it in detail. Uh, listen to this. We're on the other side. When we last left you on part one, Larry Manetti of Magnum P.I. was taking ownership of a pilot's possessions. And guess what? The pilot's not dead. He's been captured by the Cylons. And somehow, Larry Cedar of Square One Television played a cadet on part one. But now, we journey back. The gun on Ice Planet Zero. Part two. Hey, everyone. Hey, do you know who that was? That was Chris Bly. He's the uh, Galactica podcast co-host with me chris how are you 
I'm pretty good, Dad. Things things are well over there, I'm sure. Yes, yes, we're doing good. George the dog and I are here. We're relaxing. We're chatting some gun on Ice Planet Zero. It's February. It's doing what it's going to do. And we're frosty. Very frosty. So let, let's dive right in. We left, um, when, when we last left, uh, I was a bit iffy on the whole thing. You were less iffy. But let's see, how are you feeling after the conclusion of this one? Uh, once again, we're kind of to a point where we're kind of like, almost exactly where we left off, particularly with our wonderful Daggett known as Muffet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, here's the thing. It went through an entire recap of part one on this episode right at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and narrated by Lauren Green, nevertheless. <laughs> and it's like, and now part two of Iso, the gun in Iso Zebra. There's a gun the over the here in the cold place. Yes, and it's in Snow- a cave, and it's hidden. Snow- no snowy gun. Snowy gun. But, and one thing that we left off on that last part was I said, I don't know where their alliance is with the clones. And it gets tested in the very first couple of minutes here. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about it was that because we see this long flashlight uh, in this Arctic weather uh, of the clones, and then we find out within five minutes, um, they don't like the Cylons very much. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we start to find a little more about the slave race that we uh, get uh, introduced to. Saying, as I mentioned before, I said, like, well, kind of foreseeing uh, the replicants uh, of Blade Runner kind of is oh, kind yes. of the slave labor of this mm-hmm. planet, of, of the Cylons there. Any, anything you put on a snowy planet, I always enjoy to some <laughs> extent. So, so, so that means I, I did enjoy this to some extent. Mm. Where it lost me again was kind of in what I said last time, mm. where the criminals don't really, in the end, amount to much. Um, and sort of what they do to help in the end could have been done, I think, by... You know, Starbuck and Boomer mm. instead of Starbuck and and these criminals, and all the stuff with the clones, and then the introduction of the scientist who designed the gun and uh, is working with the clones, and, and may, all this stuff. And it's, may it's, I say that? Uh, okay, God. Oh, oh no! Please, please, no, no, please. Well, please. the scientist. When I saw the the opening um, intro to the show, I absolutely was in sheer delight. <laughs> Because I knew that voice, I knew mm-hmm. that presence, and I think it kind of foresaw one of the movies that this guy would eventually be in years later. Uh, the person I'm referring to is another special guest star that was not on part one, but he's on part two. He has a very thick voice that kind of sounds a little like this, <laughs> and uh, I belovedly know him from a couple of movies. He's in RoboCop. He's mm-hmm. also in um, The Last Starfighter, where he plays Friendly Grig. Uh, assistant to Lance Guest in the film. But the place that I say, couldn't he give this guy an Oscar nomination was what I believe is, should have been his supporting actor nomination as a man named Cochran in a little film called oh, Halloween 3 Season yes, of the Witch. Yes. Oh, yeah. And oh, I feel like it. when I watch this episode and see the motivations of his character in this film, oh, I said... Yeah. You know, for some reason, I kind of think of uh, that Halloween 3 was kind of like the revenge on this science character. Saying, yes. like, you know, we're going to go the other way this time around. So. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Agreed. I, um, it's, it's, I, I think what I mentioned in the last one where I wish this was a more suspenseful single-part story than a two-part story, I still stand by that. There's a lot to enjoy in here. 
uh, the last 15 minutes or so, even though most of them seem to involve watching a um, like an, an Atari football field with the Galactica <laughs> going across it, oh, as as um, the sounds go, 50 centons left, and you think, is that 50 seconds? Is that five minutes? Is that five days? I don't know exactly yeah. how long that is. So saying that over and over again, and they were compromising. Does... They're compromising because all the ships always look like asterisks. And I said to yes. myself, what the, I said, is the MASH people kind of getting all the legal department saying they're taking yes. away one of our trademarks here? Yeah. Yeah. Particularly at that time? Yes. I mean, it, the, the thing about it is I think, I, I think there, there are lots of bits I really like. I like Baldar's plan mm. of, um, e- even though it's, it's sort of suicidal for some of the Cylons, I like his plan of they, they know there are people on the planet and they know they might get to the gun, so they're gonna have to. They're gonna up the ante of the Cylons attacking the fleet to drive them towards the planet. And they say, if the, when the pulsar goes off, it could destroy the Galactica. Yeah. So you really get a feeling of um, uh, of of sort of excitement, and and there's a tense feeling of it there. But then the the problem is when you actually get to the scenes, like in the last fifteen minutes, it's a mix of like, um standing out in the cold trying to attach bombs or things to the gun mixed with a lot of clones dressed in the exact same outfits running around <laughs> mixed with um everyone in the galactica looking really tense and and mixed with that 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 like you said last time like in television or atari mm. um graphic with the galactica going across it and it's it's there's it's too much <laughs> i i think they need to well, that, well it's there's still too cheesy much. charm to it right there yeah, there, 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 there is a charm to that because at, at the end of the day, I could, uh, I really could care less about the graphic that the Cylons are using. If they want to use that graphic, they can use that graphic. But, but the, the thing is that, like, that's the big, that's the ticking clock of the scene. Well, you know, the other thing that comes out of this too is with that whole whole sequence. There is, um, they have uh, what I, you know, this wasn't exactly done by Irwin Allen, but the only thing <laughs> I could think of is as it gets closer to this. Uh, I kind of am reminded of the end of the Towering Inferno, where it's like uh-huh. we start to get to any of the characters, and we have that like you know as the countdown is going on, there's like a close like a, like a very slow zoom into every one of them, say like these are everybody that's on stake and at risk. Here it's a little tighter because it's always it's like close of like ten, nine, another person, eight, another uh-huh. person, seven. Like, like it's got the like that count, and it, of course the count, the last countdown is for the silence there and by them and the funny thing is that you could almost sync this up you know at a new year's eve party <laughs> i'd love to see that yeah I, actually I think that would be kind of like it that would make kind of a say like oh there's a countdown and part of it's done by the cylons hell i'm in you know, my <laughs> and then at midnight at midnight the gun explodes yes that's perfect yeah happy new I, year there you go yes i th- i think i think the thing for me with this episode is that i i've said this before on here is that the first three or four times I watched the series all the way through, I watched it as I was doing work. Mm. So it was always like, so I would look up and I knew what was going on, but I never focused on it intently. This is the first time I'm really watching it intently. And I think that they, it's too cluttered. Um, not, 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 it's, it, I, I, I think and I'm trying to think if I was a kid. To, to be honest, if I were a kid, this was a kind of hour-long episode of TV that would have made me go, mm, this is why I don't watch hour-long TV. But as an adult, I, I, I like quite a bit of it. 
but I think it's just too much. And I don't know if it's like, like we mentioned last time, it's the, there are four writers involved. Why are there four writers involved? Proust wrote In Search of Lost Time by himself. <laughs> Emily Dickinson wrote over a thousand poems by herself. The Iliad, the Odyssey, one guy, he was blind. Why did it take four people to write this? I don't know why. Well, because just... you know, if you talk about poems, I think Nipsey Russell wasn't available, unfortunately. So it's one of those oh, things. Oh, man. <laughs> I, would, I would have loved if Nipsey had shown up at some point. Uh, I, again, I don't, I, don't, I don't mean to say if you're a fan of Galactica, I don't mean to. I, I think there's a lot of fun stuff in this. Mm. I just think there's two... The the clone people never, apart from Brit Eklund, of course, uh, uh, like her, but the clones never really did much for me, well, and the scientist is just okay, and the criminals never amount to much. Well, so in the end, it's just a lot of people running, and I'm like, oh, there's Apollo, there's Boomer, there's Starbuck. I, I want to see the main people some more. Oh, there's the and, But also, too, the funny thing about the clones, which we didn't mention on part one, but I think I'll mention here, was um, – I, I look at it, they've got, like, the taxi cab cap, and yeah, they have, they like, the overalls, yeah. very 70s mm -hmm. kind of thing there that they had going there. The one thing I was waiting for, I was waiting for the dance sequence, because I was make, <laughs> was expecting them to start, like, breaking into disco, you know, like something <laughs> off of American Bandstand or something, you know, because I'm looking at this, and I'm going, like, they're all set up, and I mean, like, they're not, not, not exactly doing the thriller dance, but they should be doing something. <laughs> There, there are a couple of like wide shots when they're going to the main cave, and you can see like thirty or forty of them. We're like, you're expecting them to turn and go, yeah. Which one they use three or four, and then the other ones kind of had like the the bad like wig and, and beard yes. uh, like uh, makeup it's, there, kind of like the like the whole Planet of the Ape thing where they had like you know the pullover masks for some of the yes. things because the budget. Don't don't yeah, it's it's like it's like a Doctor Who back in the '60s where like the dialects in the back were all cardboard cutouts. And it's like don't don't look too far in the back. Don't look those those dialects are not yeah don't push them and talking about right and over. talking about countdowns too I said I remember on on episode one uh, when they sh first show Roy Thinnis I kept on thinking is he part of like the the group that Khan went into to kind of like attack Captain oh, Kirk and oh, Wrath of Khan yes. he has that kind That's of look thought. you know yeah, that would, or at least that. a lot of them a lot of them do and the funny thing is I think of this is kind of like a forecasting of Rathacon as well, because if you think about it, anytime they were trying to shoot the pulsars at the Galactica, they kept missing. And I say to yes. myself, it's just like, you know, Kirk had said, like, oh, by like a bad marksman, you keep missing the target, you know? And I said, <laughs> I had that right in the back of my mind when I saw the pulsar, and every time I kept missing, it's like, oh, we're going to hit the Galactica. It's near miss. Almost that. And we still, we still, we still have the pigtails um, receptionist. Pigtails still on the yeah, she's it's in funny, charge. Yeah. She's there. No jolly. She doesn't get like the credit that she should, and she should be right in the front because they use her. I mean, Baron mm -hmm. Jensen was only on maybe two scenes in the in part yes. one. Mm -hmm. And I said, like, but you know, not anywhere else. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that's yeah. about. You know, I guess maybe they didn't want to change their what they've already routinely put up there. Yeah, they well they they do they do that thing with sort of lessens the suspense where they say if it gets hit once the pulsar will destroy the Galactica and then they keep showing the football field twenty centrons left but then they keep firing at the Galactica and they finally had an accurate like uh, Atari like. A sketch yes. of the Galactica, where you can't. That was where fantastic. The other, where the other ships are, like I said, they're all asterisks. You know, it's like yes, we have five, yes, and or maybe the Cylons just have everything better in focus. I don't know. I just, I, I kind of wish, like, as the Galactica is drawing closer, there, there wasn't quite as much like. Well, I know it's not going to. I know they're not going to hit it, and it's going to explode, but. 
when it's done, when stuff like this is done really well, you should get the feeling that maybe it will. And I never got that feeling. Well, I felt like it, there were stakes on the line, and we had like a, you know countdowns can be suspenseful. Close, and the way yeah. that and the way that they had this kind of edited, you know, it did kind of feel like you know, okay, is something going to happen? Is something, and it, you just found it feeling like maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Kind of like that itchy and scratchy yeah. kind of like instinctual feel. But yes. um, but also at this, and also here's the other thing too is like when we go back, they have the disagreements between our villains here or our criminals here. At one point, mm. say I don't know if we should go with the Galactica. It took takes Apollo to kind of make the sense of it. it's like there's nothing out there. What are you talking about? <laughs> Where are you gonna go? <laughs> but here's the thing is that I don't think we ever now we see James Olsen get knocked off. Sadly, yes, we, we lose our one canon guest star uh, to yeah. the wrath of. Um, the wrath of the Cylons, and of course we still have poor, poor. Um, oh, what's the guy's? Is it, they had, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? This is the guy. The guy that got knocked down there. It's, I know it's been so long since yeah. we talked about yeah. part one. It was yeah. uh, Priest, is it? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, he, you know, is you know, uh, who knows what kind of torture? I said I noticed the torture that he was getting. So this reminds right, me yeah, of like yeah. the uh, Armando uh, interrogation in the Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, where it's like it's yes. quite painless. We're showing lights, and you're going to kind of tell us, which I, we don't know if he told very much. But here's the thing: was that uh, we didn't see any kind of demise of Richard Lynch, other than the fact that he ran off. Yes, so, that was a little weird. So do we I, wonder that maybe Wolf comes back at some point there, like Revenge mm. on the Ice Planet, and find some kind of residency? Because somehow uh, the clones found a way to survive. The, yes. the, the doctor found a way to survive. You know, so it's like maybe it's, they're all yeah, maybe they're all worshiping Richard Lynch in like a second season episode on another mm. world. Yeah, like the other Wolfies out there. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, well, well, we do we do worship David Lynch, uh, David Lynch, Richard Lynch, <laughs> all uh, the Lynches, yeah, all the Lynches, and all the yeah, it's, and the Lynchpins aside, the Lynchpins. Well. Thank yes. you, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Yes, and uh, uh, but Richard Lynch, I mean, he is somebody worth to be worshipped about, particularly yes. with his work there. And but that, that, I mean, I could see that being kind of possible if if going into the future, so like we want to bring this guy back. But it's uh, like all the other ones. I mean, somehow Thinnis survives. Uh, uh, the woman uh, Bel- uh, uh, Belford survives, um, and um, like most of the criminals, Brett Eklund thankfully survives, as we yes touch wood many times. Yeah, yes, yeah, but yeah. Oh, and but that's one thing I could say about this episode is no matter the knocking, it also comes down to the last five minutes before we get to the narration of um, Lauren Green as it ends almost uh-huh. the episode there, yes. um, and that's the fact that once again we elevate the scoundrel side of Starbuck. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. He has one of the best last lines, I think, there. You know, say, like, you know, oh, it looks like, uh, it, it looks like, uh, you, 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 you know, you, it looks like you lost. He says, I'm losing all three of them. <laughs> classic. Classic. Yes. Uh, very classic uh, Starbuck uh, on, to, to, like, kind of finish that off on that one. But, like I said, with everything else that was building up, I said, uh, we get introduced to certain things, and you know, it's like we have to jam the pump. That's right. We're, yes. Yeah. No matter what, mm-hmm. it's not you know explosives. Or, well, actually, they do they do use charges, but it's like they have to jam the pump. And we finally find a way into this bloody place. We didn't see any entrances into any other ways, and it's like yeah. and uh, and so uh, what's it? Starbuck feels the guilt mm-hmm. because he left mm-hmm. one of his guys behind, and he wants to yes. kind of regain that. And he decides, well, you know, nobody would be crazy enough to be breaking into the prison. You know? mm-hmm. And sure enough, 
you know, he goes and he wrecks havoc. He starts going, at, you know, silent after silent, you know, with the, yes. I mean, it's like domination. It's great. Unfortunately, we thought that we haven't lost all of our criminals. Well, we kind of did uh, from the remaining ones there because um, the woman takes a bullet for, for Roy Finnis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, I, I, I really do feel like in, in an earlier draft, maybe the criminals were more, had more to do because it's it's sort of, it, it really is like they all have their specialties. And in the end, you're like, what were all their specialties? I forget. I, I didn't write it down. And, oh, yes. Explosives and ice worlds. And, you know, yes. they had these special masks on to go into, like, the snow. Oh, thing. yes. What did and you think of that? You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of one of my favorite movies of the 80s is The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, and, sure, yeah. And there was a scene where they get a very special message on a hologram, and they use these, like, special glasses this kind of shape that I can't describe almost looks like like lightning bolts of some kind. And I said I looked at and some of that design seemed to be on the helmets of oh, interesting yeah, yeah of, of of like the winter things on on you go like it's like it's almost kind of got like could they t- could they see a hologram on there and see getting a message uh, from uh, Planet Ten uh, that they uh, <laughs> so. That's so the, the first thing when I looked at that was even when they show it at like the beginning of part one uh, during the recap, like the recap at the like you know next on Battlestar Galactica beginning, they mm-hmm. have. Um, I, said, I said to myself, Jesus, there's a Buckaroo Banzai vibe going. In, just looking at the design oh, yeah. of that thing, mm-hmm. so it has it has almost like um, it's like clear plastic in front of their face, but almost like a bone like thing yeah. uh, underneath there, like underneath their um. Uh, uh, nose and like their their sort of temple no not the temple the uh, cheeks sort of around the cheeks and almost like a bone like um, thing and it's it's alternately kind of cool looking but depending upon who you see in it sometimes it looks looks a little goofy yeah but it's, so it's it's one it's one of those designs yeah. and it's basically the whole episode is basically like a diversion on top of the, of a diversion yes but wait a minute we got another diversion to come to you and guess what that's what's going to cap it right there yes the it's diversion after diversion until you like you said you get uh, there's a pause and then the Lauren Green narration begins mm. and and I and we finally oh, see on this episode Baltar usually wears black uh, we see when he's down from the deceit that he's wearing green and I'm saying to myself did he's... he just is he doing the Sheriff of Nottingham thing on this one? Here? Because oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, he kind of looks like he just walked in from a production of Robin Hood, for sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, my merry man. Uh, well, no, he wouldn't be saying... Well, he could say that. He's Baldar. He could say whatever he wants. He, I'd like it if he called um, Cylons his merry men. I think that would be fun. My merry tin men. My merry tin men. The great thing was that, you know, also to see with a lot of these things where he's like, oh, the group is coming in, and they have this, like, marching ways and everything else like yes. that. You know, And I said, to me, that gets the excitement up. And I got to say, yeah. know, it certainly worked. Excuse me. Uh, it certainly worked on both of these parts here. You know, so mm. that's the one thing I can say, say what you will. But I said it did kind of build up the thing. It's like, oh, we're going into battle. It's like and it wasted yes. no time. That's the one thing I can honestly say is, is that but the beginning and probably the end when he had all these battles, wasted no time and really getting us right back. It's like, OK, let's yes. get them in on the action. Let's do mm. that. You know, it's like, yeah. so that for that point, I, I would almost, say I almost I almost wonder if it would have been. A better maybe it's a 90 minute episode so maybe instead of two two like 48 minute episodes if it had been like a 73 minute like episode I, i'm just i'm just wondering because i there are, like i said there are bits of it i like quite a bit but i think there are too many characters and it gets a bit too meandering mm. and 
points where you wish it would be sharper. Yeah, it would be like a special TV movie of the week uh, episode yes. of Battlestar like Galactica. Yeah. Like like a like a like a separate edit that that like maybe they did for like a ninety minute time slot or something, but who knows? Who knows? So and, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna um I'm gonna say and then I think I'm I'm done with this one. I I, I do really like whenever the episodes end and then it goes to Lauren Green's narration. I think there's something lovely, sort of book ending about the narration at the beginning and the narration at the end and putting the episode in the middle. And, I think that's lovely. And the promise of Earth. Yeah. Uh, and don't yes. forget, you know, when when it comes to Dan O'Hurley and he gets the one shock point, it's like the children, the children, <laughs> and I go like, oh yeah, I remember you saying that, and it was a few years later because it was like, oh no, it was a joke on the children. Yes, it's like, <laughs> yes, go right back to Silver Shamrock, good sir. Yes. <laughs> Uh, the so uh, do you have anything else on this one? I think I think I'm good. I I think we've covered quite a bit there. I think we had one. Uh, uh, what was it the um the si- the, the silent uh, warning uh, horror guy finally pops back up again in his uh, deputy suit on the Galactica. Oops. Oh yes, he shows up there again. I think that's kind of notable that you know he he pops up every once in a while, but uh, unfortunately he didn't have Sidney Lassick uh, kind of like taking him on and uh, yelling back at yeah. him. Yeah. With uh, yeah. the proof, quote, quote, unquote. <laughs> but uh, no, I said, other than that, you know, I think that's kind of the capper say, like, it's good that they got us back into it and kind of added a little more. Ex- yes. I mean, they say, like, oh, we got away from the clones and that was e- that we got the Cylons and that was easy. And now, mm-hmm. geez, I wonder why it was so easy. And then it's like, ah, a little bit layer by layer, we start to find out within these two parts. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. So what? Um, so I guess where, where can we find you online? Well, you know, you can find me on Facebook, uh, www.facebook.com/captainbly, where I have my, both of my projects of not only what's going on with myself, but also the deep dive TV movie picture show and my film project called First View. Every, every there's a movie a day. I write something about it, and it's the first time I've seen a movie. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Captain Bly seventy six, where you might see a picture pop up once in a while. And on Twitter, every once in a while, there may be a live tweet with Turner Classic Movies. Excellent. Thank you again. And uh, next time we're going to meet some magnificent warriors. But right now we're doing this. Trevi Collection, episode 14 of Kolchak, directed by Don Weiss, Weiss, written by Rudolf Borchert, January 24th, 1975. Uh, skip the um, skip the Wikipedia destruction as it gives away, you know, what's supposed to be a bit of a twist, but basically in, in the world of high fashion, hot couture, um, the, um, at the beginning of the episode, a sort of spy, a fashion spy, is kind of thrown out of a window, possibly by mannequins and Kolchak begins to investigate and he meets up with a young woman who's a, who's a model and um, he meets uh, Ms. Trevi who's in charge of this collection and he also encounters some weird goings on and eventually comes to learn that, well I won't give too much away but comes to learn that um, these weird things are having models are being uh, attacked uh, that, that, that spy was thrown out the window other weird things have happened it looks like we've got a witch on our hands. But who is the witch? I'm not going to tell you.
but Wikipedia will. Well, there you go. Uh, Tim S. Turner and I are on the other side of this blast of music. All right, the Trevi Collection and uh, episode, episode, episode 14 of Kolchak. We are sadly getting near the end of the series, but it's eventually super trained, so that happens with every single one of these series. Um, we, and I'm here now with the great Tim S. Turner. Tim, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, do, we're doing fun things with Tim's name as the series goes along. Um, but uh, but but tell tell me let's let's go into the world of high fashion which is where Tim lives every day. Of, and, well, yeah. And let's discuss what you thought of the Trevi collection. Well, I, I would like to correct you, and it's the world of hot couture. Oh, that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's we're reminded uh, several times. I I actually really enjoyed this one. It's got some real flaws that are mainly technical. The when I was a little kid and I I saw this the moving mannequins freaked me out. However, as an adult, you see oh they're not all mannequins. They're yeah. actually people who are having a really hard time sitting still. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's tricky. Yeah, it's it's tricky. I I well I'll, I'll let you keep talking. <laughs> well, no, I, I I think one of the things I think we uh, this goes back to um, Firefall where. You kind of almost have a mystery. You're, they misdirect you into yes. who the witch is. Yes. This is about a witch, folks. Uh, yeah, yes. Which, for some reason, um, witches uh, really care a lot about hot couture. <laughs> um, and after watching this episode, i got to tell you, it comes off very much like a low-rent Suspiria. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, if I you can really see that. think yeah. about the structure of it, and yeah. and uh, it it kind of takes like the 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 path of the remake where, the, well, I don't know, I don't want to give necessarily away mm -hmm. this soon on who the witch is, but uh, it, it 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 really felt like that to me, uh, even though obviously Suspiria is about three years away. Yeah. Uh, it it really kind of does have that feel. Mm. Yeah, I can actually I can see that. Yeah, that's uh, well. It was funny. I was going to mention Suspiria. I was going to say uh, witch movies of the time, and one of, one I was going to mention was Suspiria, and like things mm -hmm. like the weird things like say Simon King of the Witches, which is a real odd mm. one. And but this right. this this has a very seventies witch like feel to me, where it, <laughs> yes. it it does that great thing where it mixes, you know, high high fashion and everything with sort of like all the old stuff that you used to. I mean, there's there's a there's a moment at the at the end, and again, you know, Carl doesn't die and he catches the witch in the end. But there, the moment at the end, the way he sort of stops the witch, not specifically the the the, the dunking, but the leaping onto the back of the car, denouncing. Right. I really, I really thought, I really thought that was kind of neat because, um, um, uh, now I'm spoiling the end. Jeez, and I haven't even told you what I thought of the episode. Maybe I'll get back to that. Let me back. Let me back. Up, <laughs> let me back up. Oh, were you were you done, Tim? I'm sorry. Keep uh, yeah, I, I just I I actually I I enjoyed this one. It was funny they came up with this whole side plot with these gangsters uh, yeah. who who show up to uh, rough Carl up in the INS office. Mm -hmm. And they, yet they have this this comical interplay about how much time they're going to give yes. Carl 
you've got you've got one day. Well, what about seventy two hours? Well, what about sixty eight hours? You know, and it was yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they settle on like Let's 60 compromise hours. sixty. You know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think overall this one was uh, more, f- at least more fun for me than Primal Scream was. Mm-hmm. I think I think overall this one, I, I think that the story holds together the better than Primal Scream. It it seems like pretty much everything that's happening is supposed to be happening, whereas Primal Scream had those moments where we were like, now why are they doing this? Now why were they? Where, what happened with this? This this one kind of moves us quickly along and then misdirects us and um has fun witch stuff in it and um and uh, i uh i like i like the scene with the witch's coven although they're they're yeah. i i can't tell some of the maniacal laughter i i'm not 100 percent sure i feel like some of the maniacal laughter should have been greeted with a laugh track because it's maybe <laughs> it's maybe too maniacal there's there's a point where you could be too maniacal well, I thought it was funny with like the, the when he goes to the 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 coven and he's talking to them. Uh, I I kind of thought it would have been nice to have had like a little bit of a a little bit of dialogue throwback to Devil's Platform. Oh yeah, you yeah. know because uh, mm-hmm. it's a lot of it's, it's a lot of stuff going on that's very similar yes. with the sacrifice and stuff like that. And uh, the the woman who gives him the information on mm-hmm. how to defeat. The witch with the the mojo bag. Mm-hmm. I thought that that what, wasn't that the same lady he spoke to at the lecture, but they, we yes. never see her face. But I think I it think was, so. Right? Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The one who says, "Ah, uh, this is all baloney," about the um the witch guy. Yeah. Okay. It's, it just yeah. seemed weird to me that they didn't show her face though. Yeah. No. Um, it's it, yeah, it's it's a, it's a slightly odds. Well, you know, they're witches. They're kind of nuts. You know. So I'm kidding. All you witches listening. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm having fun. These are, these are not. Um, this witch isn't very nice. I guess is the is the thing to say. Um, and I, I, I do. I, I. One of the things I really liked was that was the, um, was the way, was because Carl is given a lot of information on what to do to deal with the witches and the things that work. The two things that really work are, um, are things that are sort of. There seems slightly, I don't know if askew is the right word, but they, they're slightly odd where, um, like, the way you can tell a witch is they, they can't drown. Right. And and I, I and there was, of course, always the, the concept being that whenever they would, um, you know, find out if someone was a witch, they would dunk them in water. And if they drowned, they weren't a witch. Yes. But then you never really heard, like, about all the ones that didn't drown. I mean, you generally hear that they all drowned. Well, <laughs> the thing is, when he does try and like drown her, which, by the way, that's pretty a pretty brutal thing for seventies television yes. for him to be drowning a woman, uh-huh. uh, like holding her head underwater. Because she the theory, the theory and, being that, yeah, the theory being that if she dies, then he made a mistake. Yeah, then he's really screwed. Yeah, <laughs> uh, when she comes up with her head out of the the barrel of water, she looks like a, a Smurf version of Witchy Poo. Yeah, she does. I don't. <laughs> She's I don't all quite blue. know what that was. I don't quite what know. What was that all about? I, I didn't fully understand. It was it was almost like they. I don't I don't know. It it really that sometimes the show makes some strange makeup and costume decisions, and that's yeah. one of them. Like like maybe maybe they had something that was more old and decrepit looking or something and and somehow someone said no you can't do that well can we paint her blue 
Yes. Yeah. Oh, let's do it. Because when it, when her when her, when she pops up from there, it's it's an inch away from being frightening. Unfortunately, that inch is the reason why it's not really frightening. Um, but but then when but then I think if they give her some cool contact lenses or something, maybe so just something, yeah, just something, something a little more to push it over into. Okay, that's genuinely creepy. Yeah, but but when she yeah when she her head pops out, you're right. She she does look like a, a smart version of Witchy Boo. Um, and then and then the the other thing is the way yeah the way you you, you the way you you find out if they're a witch is you try to drown them and they can't drown. And then the other way and the way you stop a witch is by denouncing them in public. And I like the way he they do both of them, but both of those are sort of things like I would never have thought that was a way to stop a witch. He just he yeah. leaps onto the back of a car uh. as four people walk by, and he says she's a witch, and that ends it. I like that, but I also find it a little odd at the same time. Well, it doesn't it seem like a, a little too easy. You know, like, uh, oh yeah, let's just go outside where there's people walking down the street, and oh hey, she's a witch. Oh, oh it no! Does, it's, it's, <laughs> she freaks out. It's, it's 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 to me it seems like too easy and not too easy at the same time because if someone said to me, oh the way you find out someone's a witch, you try to drown them. If they drown, they're not a witch. Sure. And I would say, no, that's what they used to do to witches, the people they thought were witches, and that's ridiculous. But the fact yeah. that that actually works is is a surprise to me. And the denouncing in public thing, I mean, that's obviously the way they would get the witches in and, and everything like that. It's kind of, um, it's, it's, it's ultimately, it is too easy, but it's ultimately kind of neat, sort of, <laughs> that like, because it's so weird. I mean, it's so weird. I mean, like, you know, if a vampire is chasing me or a werewolf, I don't jump on the back of a flatbed truck and say, that's a vampire! And the vampire goes, you got me! And falls to the ground. But it's so weird yeah. that, like, it's such a weird thing that, like, you know, every every monster has their downfall thing. And it's right. it's, it's it's ultimately very weird, but also kind of cool at the same time uh, but also kind of easy too but i i don't know i don't know i i i liked it but i found it odd that they chose because i'm fairly certain you could probably find other ways that they could stop witches but to use those two things that were like used by <laughs> witch hunters who were pretty much all charlatans and have those turn out to yeah. be the actual things that work is kind of like huh yeah, I don't know. You know, it's it's um. Well, I, I actually liked it better when he was smashing all the glass. That was great. I did like that. That was when it started, like you know, she's yep. screaming and freaking out for him to stop smashing the glass. That seemed to be a lot more effective. Yes. Um, yeah. and then she had. I. It was kind of interesting. She 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 sicks the mannequins on him. Uh huh. And they're. I don't. I don't know what they're supposedly doing to him, but he goes and he grabs the mojo bag, and all of a sudden they're just ineffective now yes it, it, that was kind of strange they just kind of stopped yeah, moving and, it was yeah it's, uh, oh i'm sorry no it, 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 it was just, i just thought, thought it was kind of an odd yeah uh little moment i i i i kind of felt like the whole time that the mojo bag was really the real, the uh, real thing. Yeah. that's the real weapon mm -hmm. you know uh against her but i guess just calling her a witch in front of people did it yeah but, it's and she I, doesn't die either. No. No, no that she, she ends up in a mental institution. Yes. Yeah. Which I found interesting uh, that they went that direction. Mm -hmm. with. Yeah. It's 
Yeah, it's a. I I kind of like there's sort of a hodgepodge of things they throw at you, and um, in the end, I was I was convinced enough that I that I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh. So, is, are we are we going to reveal who the the witch is? Sure. Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so from the beginning of the episode, this is another thing I kind of liked about it. You know, a lot of times in in these stories, you'll have Carl team up with somebody, uh, usually a young lady. And they help him, uh, you know, in his pursuit of the the monster and everything. Well, in this case, the young lady's actually the the, the witch, and that was a, a neat little twist uh, that they threw in there. And because from the yeah. beginning, you're led to think Madame Trevi, yes, is the real witch, uh, played by uh, Nina Foch. Is it Foch or Falk or I don't, I don't know. know. I don't, I don't know. I've never. She was when she was in Shadow Chasers, and I never knew how to pronounce her name. When oh. I discussed Shadow Chasers. <laughs> yeah, I, I mainly remembered her from um, uh, what was it, Return of the Vampire, with oh, Bela Lugosi yeah. way yes. back when. Yeah. And uh, oh yeah, Cry of the Werewolf. The were- yes. way, I mean, we're talking from the forties. Forties, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I thought you know she kind of had that 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 feel about her where you're like, oh, she's. Uh, you know, Suspiria. She feels like a exactly. like one of, yes, yeah, yeah. Like she's the head witch of mm-hmm. the coven, and but when you finally you find out that it's actually Madeline mm-hmm. who is helping Carl, quote unquote, helping. Uh-huh. Um, that was kind of an interesting twist, yeah. and um, I, I really I, I liked that about it. Uh, I mean, I think it was kind of easy to figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seeing as you know, they kind of do this one camera shot when the one uh, uh, oh yes, the her one name was uh, uh, was gets it attacked Ariel? by the cat. Yeah, Ariel. Yeah, gets attacked yeah. by the cat. They do this shot of her like glaring, and then the cat attack. And and, and you're like, ah, maybe if they cut that, it would have been more of a mystery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. It's it's and it, it it is nice too because you can go back and watch it a second time, knowing what you know. Yeah. And and seeing sort of her getting Carl on her side, acting a little ditzy, acting a little, yeah, um, constantly getting distracted by fashion things. But then you know she she knows exactly what she's doing, and uh, she's pulling Carl in to help her. And the the attack by the cat um, is is unintentionally let's, hilarious. Let's, let's let's discuss what <laughs> what are the if you're going to have monsters slash insects attack people, which are worse, cat attacks or bee attacks? Your call. <laughs> Um, well, you know, I, I think cats are notoriously difficult to train. Yes, to wrangle. Yeah. And uh, you know, if you ever saw um, the uncanny, yes, yes, you know, yeah, it's like, yep, yep. yeah, you got to throw stuffed animals at people to get that to, to to pull off. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's. I was gonna. What? What? I mean, like the X Files did cats and bees. Yes, and the and they I think they did bees better than they did cats because that Teso dos Bichos or whatever the name of the the cat episode is is not um not a great one. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, so like basically, I guess we should tell people what's going on is that is it, Madeleine is this upcoming uh, fashion model, mm. and so she's basically eliminating models that are in her way. Yeah. To, so she can be the star uh, of this. I guess it's, it's a Vogue pictorial uh, that they're doing of the Trevi collection, and so she has 
this cat. There's there's this uh, you know very Blofeld esque white cat yes, yeah. hanging out, and she and the, she makes the cat attack uh, Ariel and scratch her face up. And like later on, he has um, uh, another model yes. uh, get scalded in the shower to death with yeah. hot water. Yeah, that's uh, that's a fairly racy scene with the. Uh, oh, it the, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah with you, the nude, uh, and she goes in the shower, and the camera like pans down, and it's like that um, that shower glass where you can't really see frosted. through it, but you can kind of see through it if you're pervy, and yeah. and you know, and and kind of the camera's panning down, like, hey, now, hey, come on, give her some privacy. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so that's what she's up to, and she does stuff to make Carl think that it's Madame Trevi yes. to kind of throw him off the scent. Like the car, but, yeah. Yeah, like the... Oh, I actually thought that the thing, the attack by the, the phantom car, yeah. I thought was well done. It's it's really nice that, yeah, Carl's in an alley and suddenly this car comes at him and just tries to hit him over and over again and then it kind of stops and you realize there's no one in the car. Yeah, and, no driver. Yeah, but then Mrs. Trevi there is, or Miss Trevi, is like looking from a window down at him. It's like, right. oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. Well, and... I suppose if that was where she was working and she heard, right outside her window, I'd look out the window too. So yeah. I don't know that she's being suspicious. I think she's just being like, uh, does someone need help, please? <laughs> uh, and Yeah, I, I think that... Uh... I think they do a good job of, you know, regardless of the fact that I think it's kind of obvious with Madeleine, but I, I think they do a decent job of building suspense, and yeah. um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, fun characters. Like, you got Bernie Capel basically playing yes, Doc sure. from Love Boat, well, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you got Marvin Miller from The Millionaire. Oh yeah, as the lecturer, looking very satanic with this this he does, beard yeah. and mustache, and uh, uh, as I, uh, the author of the book Witchcraft. Witchcraft, he looks very much like the kind of person I I feel like you would have seen in a seventies um, lecture like that. You know, it's just I'm going to go on down to the school. They're having a lecture on witchcraft, and just there there he is. You know, I'm I'm thinking now of what was the um, uh, you know like in, in Blood Feast. When uh, <laughs> Con Connie Mason's character is going to the Egyptian uh, class and her teacher yes. is describing the Egyptian rituals and everything, that guy was pretty square. This guy, <laughs> Night Stalker, is looks like he looks like he 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 wrote the book himself. You know, he 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 was he, he's a warlock he, or something like that. He does That's have that that, like. yeah. that uh, warlock look. He kind of reminds me of, like a more menacing Victor Buono. Yes, you know, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> He's like if you took if you if you remove like seventy percent of the camp from Victor Buono, like I'm I'm, yes. I'm extracting camp from you, and that would leave that guy. Put the uh, camp back, you got Victor and King Tut. I, 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 one of the other things with this episode is it go. Uh, this one's got a lot of like uh, blink and you miss them cameos of people, mm. um, like Doug Fowley as the superintendent of the building. Oh, yes. It's a fun. That's a fun scene. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, it, it was great to know that he was still working in the seventies. Yes. I mean, that's a film noir guy, you know, from the forties. Uh, Henry Brandon, who was, uh, you know, uh, the bad guy in the March of the Wooden Soldiers with Laurel oh, and yeah. Hardy. Yeah, yeah. You know, Barnaby. Yeah. And he's just got like I don't even think he has a line, but I mean, he's just he's in that 
press conference or whatever the lecture with uh, Marvin Miller. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the people sitting, the person sitting next to Carl at uh-huh. that lecture was uh, was Kelly Nakahara from Mash. Oh wow. There's oh yeah, Kelly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's uncredited, but I mean, uh-huh. I thought I was like, that looks like her. So I went, I looked it up on IMDb, and sure enough, wow. Um, yeah, it's. <clears throat> I think I think it's a really good episode, and you can also look for all of that because that's a lot of fun too, and it does it does reward um, a, a second viewing definitely, so you can go back and and see those. Well, I because mean, I will say that moment where Madeline there says something like, "Madam Trevi, she's a witch." Yeah. It almost comes out of like Ed Carl's. Oh, I'm sorry. Say again in my good ear, please. A witch? What? Yeah, because huh. there's nothing that indicates anything said about said about a witch until that point. Yes, um, it's uh it's it's fine. I will I will say this. Um, uh, uh, the great Amanda Reyes does the commentary on this yes. episode on the Blu-ray. I, I, I did listen to that, and she's she's great as always. I, I I listened to bits of it. I was trying not to because I knew if I listened to her, I she'd say something where I'd say it right now and pretend like I'd said it, and she <laughs> she get mad at me. So I listened to bits of it here and there, but I'm going to after after this recording, I'm going to actually listen to it all the way through. But uh, she always she always does great commentaries. And um, this one, I think, with like witches and stuff, like um, uh, like uh, uh, the uh, strong female um, uh, characters here, I think, sort of right up her alley. Even though you know one of them's clearly nuts. <laughs> I, I will tell you what my favorite scene in the whole episode is uh-huh. when he goes to the coven and he comes in the door, and the guy's like, uh, "A nominal contribution would be appreciated." And Carl puts like a dollar in there, and he goes. Not that nominal. Yes. <laughs> and then yes. when he's running and he's leaving, Carl stops and grabs the money and puts yes. it back in his pocket. Yeah, yeah. I love little touches like that yeah. with the character is that the uh, you know he's he's still a cheapskate. Yeah, and it's great. Yeah, because the show I mean, it's it's really loaded with with these. I mean, I. I will say the joy of watching the show in, in tandem with you and, and now having the Blu-ray is yes. I'm really enjoying it. I, I've always liked the show, but I'm really enjoying it more now than I have previously. And I'm looking forward to, when we're done, going back to like the first half a dozen episodes and watching them on the Blu-ray with all the, the paraphernalia that come with them. Because I just, uh, we know, we got the Blu-ray like what, like, 10 episodes in or something like that mm-hmm. and and I started watching from there I haven't watched the earlier ones yet but I, I will say there were the, there's so much fun stuff in all these episodes and you can just feel like Darren McGavin and maybe David Chase like just doing their all to bring in the scares when they can um, but also keeping the rest of it lively and that's part of, part of the fun of the show is like um Sometimes you you would get sort of supernaturally shows where the uh, the investigation can be a bit bland, a bit dry. But the joy of this is every almost every one of these investigations that Carl's go, goes on, he meets a great fun character actor, character actress, and there's some shenanigans and it's fun and he learns what he needs to know. But there's also a laugh or two and it's it's kind of a rich sort of show and. Um, 
And uh, I'll stop talking about that. We'll go back to Trevi Collection. I don't know where that tangent came from. But uh, <laughs> um, but what else do you have on this one? Let me check my notes. Uh, the only other thing I have is that, uh, you know, Madeline uh, is played by Laura Parker. And I was like, where? And, and, and I felt so dumb. I was like, where have I seen her? Oh, she's from Dark Shadows. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, uh-huh. that's where I remember seeing her from. Yes, yeah, yeah. Which I guess is appropriate. Um, Which is very cool, yeah, yeah. She, I, I think she does a good job when she's kind of revealed as the yes. the witch of being menacing. Yes. She does yeah. seem evil. <laughs> and she she does it's it's funny she does the sort of the thing that um Tom Skerritt kind of does in Devil's right. Platform where she sort of says to Carl like, you know, not she doesn't say this but like you you're a worthy adversary, you know, join me. Let's have you know, yeah, I can that, make you important. Yeah, I can make that's it. I like I like that I like that line. I can make you so important. And Carl's like been knocked to the ground by the mannequins. He's like, "Oh, oh can you? Okay." <laughs> He's like, uh, "You know, I've heard this before with Tom Skerritt." Okay. Yeah. Um, and I and I will um, say one of the the here's the thing here's the thing with those mannequin attacks is that I um you you can obviously see yeah that some of them are people trying to stand as still as they can and others are clearly mannequins but there are moments like when the mannequins attack Carl where they mix in like the right. mannequin coming at him and then all of a sudden you see a real person for just like a second then you see the mannequin yeah. then you see Carl then a real person it's like it's 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 sort of nicely discombobulating I think and it's it's it's, it's a good scene too especially when Carl is going through the drawers looking for the rag doll and the whole time in the mirror behind him, there's a mannequin, and you're just yeah. sitting there waiting for that mannequin to do something. It's like it's like the movie Scarecrows, mm-hmm. um, from like 1988, and they I would love just that movie by the way. I love that's just a fantastic movie, very scary movie, <clears throat> and they have pl- lots of shots where the camera would just like track in slowly on a scarecrow's face, and it doesn't do anything, but it gets closer, and you think, ah, did it move? No, it didn't. Did it move? Ah. And you're like, ah. and, and that's sort of what like this is. You're sitting there going. Is it moving yet? Is it going to... Ah, no, it didn't move. Okay, what's going on here? It's really, you know, you know, at, at the... At, you know, at the end of the day, I wish they had a little bit more time and I wish they had a little bit more money. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but, but I think what they did for, for what they had succeeds more, much more often than, than it sadly kind of fizzes out. Yeah, so. I, I think that... Um... One of the things that I've read about the show is, especially in the second half of the season, that uh, they they were running out of money. Yeah. And I think it I think it shows with the creatures or monsters of the second half of the season. There's not yes. a lot of monster monsters. Yeah. Uh, it's more like concept monsters, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Um, and they they didn't have a lot of time for retakes. So that's, I think, one of the things that does tend to hurt the mannequin scenes a little bit because there's several times where they, they'll show the mannequins or what's supposed to be the mannequins, and it's clearly an actor, mm-hmm. even though they're not facing the camera, because you can see them wobbling. Yes. Like mm-hmm. breathing or moving yeah. slightly or whatever, and it's like, you know, an extra take or two, okay, just stand still. Yeah. You know, yeah. it would it would have made the effect better... Uh, it it, it kind of had uh, uh, a feel like uh, like tourist trap, 
Yes. In a way with that, because and I love that stuff in Tourist Trap with yes. the mannequins. The man- and their jaws, their huge the jaws. jaws. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so, so good. And it, it, in that regard, it is kind of interesting, both like with Tourist Trap and Suspiria, how Kolshak seems to be kind of like blazing the trail ahead of time. Yes. For those yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, and, so. and he just, like, like a lot of the early pioneers, they didn't... Um, you know, like like say, listen. Uh, I I'm just I just say this because I've got uh, uh, Charlie Parker box set on my uh, on my bookcase. But you know, like you go to like early jazz and stuff, where you get these people doing great work, but the the recording's so primitive, and just the way they did, and it, so it can be tough to um, it can be tough to get into. It can be tough to appreciate. Now, yeah. I I generally don't have a problem with it, but you know, like listening to something, you know. Um, from say the 60s or 70s on, as opposed to something from the 40s, you know that they're recording directly onto a record, you know. And as great as as Carl goofing with the mannequins is, you really need something like Taurus Trap, where it's a film, and you can take a little more time, and you can do a retake if the mannequin's jaw doesn't drop right. You can do it again, and you just have a little more time and space to do them, and you don't have the 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 um, the grind of the TV. Um, schedule right uh, which which clearly yeah gets in the way at times unfortunately. I, I mean one of the things I do like about the Night Stalker sometimes or uh, you know the series is that it, it a lot of stuff feels almost like a modern day monogram oh yeah you yeah. know mm-hmm. like you know all the stuff that Lugosi did there yes. or, or George Zuko or mm-hmm. John Carradine where it's like okay you know this are the scripts always great no, you know, do they always have the budget to come up, to follow through with their ideas? No, but it's still fun. It's still a lot of fun. Yeah, I, oh yeah, yeah. I love the the more poverty row my 1940s or 1930s horror gets, the more I seem to enjoy it. <laughs> Same here. So, yeah. So so yeah. No, I'm I'm, I'm with you there. So, um, do you do you have anything else on this one? Uh, do I do I uh do 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 do. I no, I think that's it. I think I got okay, yeah. Oh, oh well, actually, it, this one is not a big thing, but it it was a it just it it amused me when Carl's interviewing Madame Trevi. Uh huh. There's a guy. I don't know if there's like I don't even know if the guy's credited or not, but he's standing behind her, and like like he's like her assistant or something. Mm-hmm. And. Carl just like kind of throws his hat at the guy when he goes yeah, to sit yeah, down, yeah. and the entire time the guy's like just turning the hat over and looking at it with this look of utter disgust. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just one of those little things where it's like a background player. You can tell he's like, "This is my moment. Yes. I'm making the most out of it. I am milking and, this." Uh, yeah, it's just it's just it's funny. It's just a yeah. funny scene. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, uh, so if that, that was the Trevi collection, everyone, I think, I think, um, I think we both enjoyed that one. I think it, I think it's, I think it's a good one. It's a fun one. Um, and so, uh, so, so, so Tim, where, where can we find you online or anywhere in particular? Uh, well, uh, my co-host Kelly Hogaboom and I, uh, host, uh, Beauty, the Beast and the Bees, a podcast about, uh, bee movies and genre film. And uh, our new episode will be reviewing the latest in the Scream series, and uh, I, I believe we're doing the Attack of the Crab Monsters 
yes, which is uh, I, I, it appears to be a favorite with a lot of people, uh, and with good reason. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so, so thank you as always, Tim. And next time we will be back with Chopper. And now. final episode of Search with Grover, Doug McClure as our pro for this episode this one is uh, directed by Michael Caffey, written by Robert C. Dennis, aired April 11th 1973, and this one Grover goes undercover as a reporter to find out what happened to an exiled revolutionary uh, who tried to lead a coup against a third world country and the leader of the country through the revolutionary and his own daughter who was in love with her the revolutionary out of the country and so Grover is trying to find him and um, and while he's doing that he comes across um, a uh, retired general and his rather shifty chauffeur who seemed to be up to something so there's this revolutionary where is he, is he dead, is he not and Grover meets up with the daughter trying to find out what's happening and there's this strange well not strange but this, this general who shouldn't have anything to do with it but kind of maybe does and the chauffeur is in it and all kinds of things go on and 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 mm, spoiler a little bit of spoiler the big control room is back everyone for the final episode the big control room is back yay so uh, i'm gonna dive right in because michelle and i got a lot to chat about uh on our last discussion of search so um let me give you a little blast and we'll be on the other side Packagers, the final episode of Search, episode 23. We are at the end, and the final episode is a Grover episode, so we got a Grover, a Lockwood, a Bianco. As I mentioned the past two times, sort of three final episodes in a row, but this is the final, final episode, and I have with me Mr. Mitchell Hadley. Mitchell, how are you? Tell me, how are you? I am doing well, but I am a little saddened that this is the final yes. Search episode. Yeah, yeah. It was it was bad enough when we did 39 Bourbon Street Beats and we're at the end. Um, and the last episode of Bourbon Street Beat was the one with the big hurricane on the island. Yeah. That was actually a really good one. It that, was. That was, a, that, that was really, in the W. Hermanos era, that was a really good one. Um, uh, but uh, I guess I'll ask, do you think the Packagers is a real, that's a strange, that, that doesn't roll off the tongue. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. I'll be honest, I'll be honest, I don't know that. And, and, it, and, it, and the funny thing about the episode too is that I don't know if we'll mention it, but the title actually refers to like one specific thing that someone is doing. So it's not like it's not like it it, it encompasses the whole episode. It's a portion of what's going on in the episode, and it's slightly awkward to say over and over again. So the packagers, Mitchell, the packagers. What did you think of the packagers? Well, you know, this sets up a really interesting premise at the beginning. You have. Um, a guerrilla leader who's about to be executed when the uh, president's daughter steps in to plead for his life because they're in love. Okay. Now, the president makes the 
ill-advised decision to spare the guerrilla leader's life and exile him along with his daughter. Uh, what troubles me about this is that from a political standpoint, this is an extremely stupid thing to do. You never, you yeah, never well. give the enemy a second <laughs> chance at you, even if your daughter is in love with him. What is the love of a daughter compared to the power of an entire nation? Or something like that, but uh, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying this to knock the episode at all. What I'm saying is that this sets up a really interesting situation because, as the guerrilla leader disappears and probe is called in by the president, if I'm not mistaken, to find the guerrilla leader because he's still involved with the president's uh, daughter. This starts to set up a really interesting conundrum. Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Yes. Is, is this a righteous, let's overthrow a bad president? Or is this a, for lack of a better description, one of these communist invasions where they're trying to overthrow somebody who's a good guy? Um, it's, it's a very interesting situation. And the deeper you get into the story, as Grover starts to dig into this and starts to change his own mind about the way the, the lay of the land, you start, you, you don't get any clarity on it. You don't, uh, get any easy answers. It really isn't until maybe the last third or the last quarter of the episode that you finally understand what the stakes are, who's doing what, who's trying to do what. Mm -hmm. And I like that, that it was able to uh, sustain, at least for me, it was able to sustain mm -hmm. that, uh, that suspense and to present you with that because it wouldn't be the first time that Probe has wound up with a client who wasn't exactly honest. Yeah. So, yeah. so that you've already—that's already a given that it is possible that the client is lying, that they want that the president wants probe to find the guy so he, he can kill him. Um, mm -hmm. It's also possible that he's being perfectly sincere in this, and the fact yeah. that we don't know, I think, sets up a pretty good episode, and it's a good one for Grover to be involved in. I think. I think it's a uh, to, to to a little more jejun, but I think it's a very nice closing episode mm -hmm. for the show. It's nice to have Grover, who was the third one introduced, um, uh, be the last one here. I love the fact that throughout, um, Mr. Grover, you need to take care of this, okay, Mr. Cameron, and they keep <laughs> and back and forth instead of you know Grover and Cameron or Cam, it's Mr. Grover and Mr. Cameron, and I kind of like that. The, um, I don't remember them doing that earlier no. on. Well, but... one thing I want to interject, just to interrupt for a second, is that mm -hmm. you get the feeling that about half the time, Cam is testing him. You know, as yes. if, now, okay, this is the situation you're in, Mr. Grover. What are you going to do? Especially when he's in the like the general's office yep. or whatever, mm -hmm. yeah, like the camera's moving around, like Cam is going, like you're in his office, and da, da, da. yeah, and you can see Cam taking satisfaction that Grover's doing the right thing, but the yes. the other half of the time, because Grover's methodology has been so unorthodox throughout the entire mm -hmm. series, he's really asking him, "What are you going to do now?" 
Yes. We want to. Yes. All we want is to keep up with you. <laughs> what are you going to do and, this time? And there's like one of the things I really like is there's um, you can kind of tell that Grover is is really putting the smooth on the uh, daughter. Mm, yes. And and because they're the first scene where they talk and he's interviewing her. There's there's kind of a weird thing where um, what's the problem with 2D? You have you can have trouble sometimes with depth of field and. That when the camera cuts over the daughter's shoulder to Grover, and then back over Grover's shoulder to the daughter, when it cuts, when it's over Grover's shoulder, it looks like they're sitting a bit of a distance apart on the couch. But when it's over the daughter's shoulder, it looks like he's kind of looming up, like almost like about to like, oh, yeah, and give her a little bit of a, <laughs> you know, and and it, but but because of the way it's shot, it looks like that. So every time it changes the shot, it's either he's a little too close to her for comfort, or they're proper distance. Doesn't apart. he even touch her cheek in one of these conversations? Yes, it, yes he does. Of yep. course, he's only being solicitous. Yes, and, but that's how close he is in both senses of the word. Yes, and and there's a great moment when you were saying the thing with Cam, where at the end, I, we're we're trying as always not to ruin much, but there is a scene in the end where they're in a plane and Grover is in trouble, and she's on the plane and he's talking to her and trying to. Um, you can see that he's trying to keep her on his side, but then he says something which is a little, eh, he shouldn't have said. And she gets upset and goes for another seat. And you can see he, he said it because, you know, he, he thinks she's attractive and he's, you know, he's just, um, he, he gets a little catty, I guess, is, is kind yeah. of the way to describe yeah. it, what he shouldn't. And Cam immediately says, ooh, Mr. Grover, that was not a good idea because she's the only ally you have on that plane. And he immediately is like, yes, you are correct. Yep, you are right. And you know that the next time something like that happens, he will do the right thing, uh, as it were. But this time, this time he's still, there's still a bit of the sort of immature. He, he's, he's gaining in, in, in maturity as the series goes along, which is the joy of yes. it. I mean, the last, what, when we saw him with, um, you know, saving Cam from the garage, where Patrick O'Neill there was electrocuting mm-hmm. him, you know, that's, he was in charge of that because he knew how to do that. And he's put in charge here because he's got the charm to be this reporter who's going in and doing all this stuff, but he can also do the fighting and the, and the uh, crawling around in the staircases and standing on the ledges. And things like that when he needs to. Well, you know, there's you know, there's he, that running joke, too, he has about being a reporter, that every time he gets into trouble or somebody challenges it, he's always saying, well, I can show you my credentials. <laughs> yes, yes, I don't want to see your credentials, or I don't need to see your credentials. Yeah. And there's all, but in this, the scene that you're describing, just before that, you get that, you, we've talked before about how Cameron is, in a sense, very paternalistic toward his agents for all yeah. for all that he may pick on them or you know run them uh, there's when they're mm-hmm. in danger that mm-hmm. that troubles him greatly and you you may be thinking yeah. well well, he should be, but it's mm-hmm. not it's a little different than that, and when he says to him, "Mr. Grover, they are going to throw you out of the plane without a parachute, yes, and you know it's like he's saying, "You've got to know this. I wish there was something we could do, but there isn't yeah. it's up to you, yeah, 
and uh, you, you can you can sense that oh that this is hitting Cam on a on a personal level. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe even more yeah. so because Grover is the youngest of them. Yes, and and you think at the at the, at the start of all this, who would have thought this was how it would end? Yeah, you know who who would have thought this would have been the point we're in at the climax of all this? We we didn't you know we didn't we didn't think that, and we're not going to give away the specifics of it. But if you watch it, you know, I mean, obviously that's part of the fun is who would have thought it would have been mm-hmm. there at that point? But there there is something great about Cam saying that sort of like we have all this technology and this. Yes, gang, we're back in the big room for this episode. And it's good to see everyone doing their thing. And the one guy is there translating French and stuff. Oh, wonderful. Hieroglyphics and all. Instantaneous translations. And, you know, and that's what what makes this scene so effective. And it's what makes the control room so effective. That Cam Mm -hmm. is in this moment where they've got the best technology in the world, the best experts in the world, all the gizmos and tricks and electronic doodads that you could possibly ask for, and none of it can save him. Yes, exactly. How frustrating is that? Yes, because, um, what is it, in the very first, in the Probe TV movie, one of the big climactic moments is... um, when he's in that wine, when Lockwood is in that wine cellar, and he gets knocked out, and he's hazy, and everything's dark, and they're using the infrared yes. or whatever uh-huh. to lead him through and to try to keep from the bad guys, and then even that one, forgive me if I'm wrong, there's I think there's a scene near the end of that, and we're, I'm spoiling this now because this was a year ago when we talked about this, but like at the <laughs> end there's a scene where he's talking to someone, and then they say to him, someone is sneaking up behind you. And they and they they were able to use that equipment, but there's just times where they can't. And I love that here at the big moment, there's nothing they can do with all the equipment. At the start in Probe, the TV movie Probe especially, the equipment could do everything. Yep. But as the episodes went along, and we saw like sometimes we're in the gymnasium room and things stink in there, and we just got that one guy saying, "I think that's French." Yeah, we know, Steve. They're in Paris. Yeah, you're gonna translate it. I don't know, you know, it's, uh, yeah, whatever, Steve. I, that's that white guy. I'd have called him Steve, you know, who sits off to one side. <laughs> I call him all Steve. Um, but you have, um, I, but but I like the fact that at the end of this, you you do have they help out quite a bit. But there is a moment in the end where they're just like, here's what's going to happen. Save yourself, because we can't. And that's that's kind of that's kind of nice because they they're still there in spirit and they're still watching. But um, they they can't really help. And I like that's kind of a, kind of evolved. I don't know if that would have evolved anymore as the show if the show had gone along. But I do like that. Yeah, yeah. I did too. Uh, so what uh, what else in this one? This this one this one is <clears throat> this one is a it's, it's fairly sort of straight. I mean, it's got the twists and turns in it, but it's a good. It's not as detectivey as the last right. one. This is high it's, stakes it's, stuff. This is high stakes. This is more of a what's going on kind of thing rather than a learning bits. Um, uh, uh, lear, lear, bits of, you, you're not going to get to the end. There's a mystery to solve in this one. It's just like someone's doing something and there's misdirection going on and Grover is doing his best to try to save the day. Say in the end, he's really trying to save the girl, yeah. I think, yeah, which is the best way, the best way to save. 
I think. So yeah, and um, uh, and the look on her face when he says what he how he thinks this is going to end, what what uh, what their plans are for her. Yes, you know it's <clears throat> you can almost see her. That you remember in the in the old cartoons, like in the old Bugs Bunny cartoons, when somebody was played as a sucker, and they had yes, they had Sam. the uh, the wrap, the cellophane over their head, and the little twist tie around the neck, just like yes, and you can almost see her envisioning th- her own head wrapped up like that, and she's thinking, "What yes. a sucker I've been." Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, you expect her to say like like Sally uh, does to Linus in the Great Pumpkin. You know, you owe me restitution. Yes. What a fool yes. I've been. What a fool. <laughs> yes, yes. And and I mean, the tricky thing is, if you, I, and I'm not going to say how how it ends, but I'll just say that the the guy who's trying to find Kareem is Michael Pataki. So you can, I love Michael Pataki, and you can you can take that for. Um, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Well, I don't know. Have you watched anything with Michael <laughs> Pataki in it? I'll just leave it at that. I will also say this was around the time of Grave of the Vampire with William Smith, direct, uh, the written by David Chase. So I'll just say that. I won't say anymore. <laughs> but it's 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 a lovely episode because. Much like if if like the if like the Bianco episode was showing us a way forward, uh, I think the Lockwood episode was um, kind of a um, uh, re- reaffirming what the show was, and we kind of lost a little bit when they went in the other room. Mm-hmm. And, and this one is is kind of also reaffirming that um, the the big spy kind of stories or the it's it's not really a spy story but intriguing kind of stories but also continues the cam the cam and 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 Grover thing and so I think all all three of them are really lovely finales for each of the characters in slightly different yep. ways which which is really cool <laughs> which is really cool because sometimes when your show ends you want to go forward. Sometimes when a show ends, you just want to be safe where you are, and sometimes you want a mix of that. You you want you want a, a good story told well, like in the Ravage. I mean, I will say, can I just say one of my favorite funny moments in here is the moment with the alarm clock. <laughs> yes, where Grover has slept too long and he's in bed and the alarm clock goes off and he starts flipping around trying to hit an alarm clock and then it cuts to Cam. In the, um, in the in the control room with an alarm clock and he's holding it up to his microphone. That is that is classic. That is fantastic. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic. I yeah. love that and, yeah. that scene. Yeah. And Burgess Meredith is great in this. It's so nice to see the control room back. I will say I forgot to mention last time that I mentioned this before. This episode, not so much, but the previous one, uh, "Suffer My Child," had a lot of, and I, I've said this before, the the split diopter lens. Which is whenever you see in the previous episode, whenever you see the blonde woman sitting next to him in the foreground, and he's in the background, but they're both in complete focus. That's a split diopter lens, which uh, Brian De Palma at that time used to use a lot. And I, I meant to mention that in the last episode, but um, they don't. I don't think they use it in this one. I don't know why I brought it up here. I think I do actually because search is over. And in the next episode, we're going to have a new show, and we're not going to be talking about a search. So if you've got anything to say, 
Now's the time. Say it yep. now. But, Say it now. What, what, anything? Anything else on this one? I think. I think. Like. I think it's a. It's a lovely episode to go out on. It keep. It keeps you like. I. I think. Kind of. A, a bit like. Um, uh, ends of the earth. It has a bit of. Where exactly are we going? What exactly is happening? But not in like a murder mystery or mystery fashion, but just like a what the heck. Yeah kind of way and this this does it really nicely so when you get to the moment where there's the reveal you're like oh oh yeah mm-hmm. and then it, and then it moves towards the ending and you're like i think i think it does it really nicely yes. i i think it i think it uh, the it handled things well and the other show that we did you mentioned just a moment ago bourbon street beat yes. um there's what I like about the parallels between these two are that in Bourbon Street Beat, you had Van Williams, who played Kenny Madison. Yes, And yes, over yes. the course of the series, Kenny evolves from being a law student who fills in there to being a full-fledged detective by the end. You've seen him mature. And when, you, when yes. the character returns in the Surfside 6, he's not Kenny Madison anymore. He's Ken Madison. Yes. And that's the same thing with Grover, too. C.R. Grover. Um, we've seen him go from being kind of like uh, an emergency replacement probe agent to a full-fledged one who the company is now relying on to uh, deal with um, international political figures. Yes. And I like that parallel. Yeah, that is a very good one because that was because I don't think we expected that at all with or maybe we did with Kenny I don't know but it it was just fun because there, there's a moment like two thirds or so of the way in where he gets an episode to himself yeah. where he's just doing it. it's like wow that was fantastic that was so good and yeah it's it's nice to see these moments where the the shows have those 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 bits of development and they you know obviously if 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 you're if you're tuning in expecting the development you see in a show today. You're not going to get it. You're going to get a slower development, a more subtle uh, development. And, I mean, I think if you were to watch, sit and watch the, how many Grover episodes were there? Half a dozen? Seven, Seven? I, I think, yeah. Uh, and if you were to watch those, in, that would be interesting to do. Yes, it would. Watch the ones, that, watch, watch the probes with Lockwood, then watch the ones with Bianco, then watch the ones with, <coughs> next time I watch the show, I'm going to do that. I'm going to watch them in order like that. And see see what that's like. See um see how they because I I don't know that Lockwood and Bianca develop too much. I think they're pretty much established. Yeah, where they need uh-huh. to be. Yeah, but but Grover does. Grover certainly yes, does. Yes, he yeah. does. Uh, so um, is there anything else on this one? I just enjoyed the series a lot. I uh, yeah, I had vague memories of it from when I was growing up. I won't say how old that makes me, but <laughs> I was. Yeah, no. I was a TV aficionado when this show originally aired, but I don't have any particular memories of it. And uh, I didn't know what to expect coming in other than because of your recommendation, I expected to like it. And I like it enormously. It was a lot of fun. And we talked about that before, too, that there's nothing wrong with a show being fun. It's usually, it's, it's usually good. Sometimes it is very good, but it is always yes. fun. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I would say, I, I would put, I would take the show up towards very good more often. Yep. Than good. I would agree with that. 
I, I think I think that the the joy of the show, like like I said, when I first watched it, it was Warner Archive Instant. It was I remember sitting one night. My wife was watching Law and Order, and I wasn't in the mood for some Law and Order, and so I thought I'd watch something on Warner Archive. And Probe was on there, and this was when I was really starting to get into TV movies, and so I watched Probe. And you've heard this story at the beginning, but I'll I'll just tell it real quick right now, and then we'll we'll end. I won't babble on like I normally do well I already have um, but um, uh, 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 I fell asleep about a half an hour in a probe and then but then a month later I tried search fell in love with it I watched it twice on Warner Archive Instant where it was in high def which was astounding and then I bought the DVDs which we've been watching which look incredible yeah. for, for DVDs they look really really good Um and I, I was so glad that in watching this show with you that I enjoyed it as because when I watched it, I just watched it. I wasn't there was no critical stuff going. I was just enjoying it. But I'm glad that when I watched it, we talked it sort of critically, as it were. It was a good time. And I'm looking forward to watching it again in the in the different order of what That'll I said last time. That'll be very interesting. I, I would think so, yeah, yeah, especially the Grover, mm-hmm. especially the Grover stuff. Maybe start with Grover. I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, at the end, I'm glad you joined me on this, this journey, Mitchell, because I think this is, this is an excellent show. And if you, if you like your spy shows and your action, your adventure, just fun shows, as yep. we said, this is, this is a really good one. And it's easy to get a hold of as far as I know. Still. Yes. Yes, it is. And I, you're, I had a, I had a ball. I thank you very much for inviting me to of talk course. about this. It was uh, a great time. Yeah, and one more time. Work well, well. Hopefully, you'll be back on the show in the future. I don't mean one I'm, more time. I'm like looking forward you to know, it. Mitchell's going. Like Mitchell's going to the ends of the earth. <laughs> you know, it's it's. <laughs> so 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 Mitchell, where can we find you online? What's up? What's happening? Um, check me out at. It's about TV.com. Links to uh, Facebook and Twitter there. I'm writing about uh, classic television. Excellent. Thank you so much. And um, this episode's over. So I'm just going to play you a little music and we'll talk next time. There'll be a brand new old show up next time. I think you're going to enjoy it. Listen to this. Hey.